welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, my guest this week is Bruce Elliott, and he's the CEO and co-founder of Memory Lane Games. So Bruce has got a pretty interesting background across uh, e-commerce, gaming, finance, and he was actually down the pub with his friend and now co-founder to come up with the idea for Memory Lane Games. And so Memory Lane Games turns memories into games for the elderly and their families with simple to play, fun quiz games, and they do that featuring popular topics, local nostalgia based on towns and cities, hundreds of games, popular stuff, whether it's sports, whether it's where people grew up, it allows carers and families to play games with the elderly to give them that sense of nostalgia. Uh, Very helpful for dementia patients, for Alzheimer patients, but also they've been working with their clinical lead, Helen, and she has told them that this is actually distraction therapy, it's reminiscence therapy, all of which can be used in clinical trials to prove the effectiveness of what they are doing. Memory Lane Games, uh, I'm actually working with as part of Somex, they're a client of Somex, and so I've known Bruce for a little while now, I've learned a lot more about their business, and this is a chat that Bruce and I had about what they are up to, so hope you enjoy it, and uh, feel free to get in touch if you've got any questions. So Bruce, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Fantastic. Excellent. A bright, sunny morning for me here in Surrey. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from? Uh, well, the weather is dull in the Isle of Man, but this is a beautiful place. I've been here for <laughs> years. Just love it. It's a fabulous, fabulous island. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so Bruce, you and I know each other, obviously, because uh, we are doing some work together. You are a client of Somex, um, my health tech agency. Um, so I know you've got a very, very interesting background. I know the story behind Memory Lane Games, and I'm excited for our listeners to hear it. And so um, if you can, my friend, it'd be great for you to tell a bit of your story. Great. Thank you. I've been a fan of the podcast for a while, and I've heard from very early on some amazing digital healthcare stories, you know, from the uh, big health guys early on or, or uh, Huma in their former days. You know, yeah. I learned a lot. And so I'm just so pleased to be here to, to share what we're up to. Oh, thank you. Um, so look, I'm, uh, I'm one of your probably older entrepreneurs in the, uh, in the group, uh, first time an entrepreneur at, uh, at 57. And my, my experience goes back to the uh, dot-com boom days and the dot-com bust days. So I started out in um, some of the early SaaS companies and the early cloud computing companies back in the, in the 90s. Uh, I learned a couple of things, um, you know, the difference between being right and being early, or the difference between being early and being wrong is just ego. So market timing is so critical. So we uh, had founded a, a cloud computing company in the 90s and a, and a SaaS company in the 90s and obviously just too early in the cycle. Um, Dot-com bust came along, uh, hit, hit us all quite hard. It was an exciting time, but you learn resilience. And then um, got into online payments. And this was early days when PayPal was just starting out and we were a small competitor that we grew to a million users and uh, $250 in revenue. And we floated it on the game exchange, a company called NetTeller. 
And what was interesting is we moved the company from Canada, Calgary, my hometown, to the Isle of Man back in 2003, and I've been here ever since. Um, and this is a fabulous, fabulous place to raise kids and a great place for uh, business. So it's, it's been it's been really good for us. Awesome. I want to talk more about that period, the dot-com boom, the dot-com bust, being a competitor to PayPal, scaling a company to 250 million revenue, floating on AIM. That that's that's that sounds like one heck of a roller coaster. <laughs> um, l- there's lots in that. Give me a bit of g- give me a story from those days. Wow, you know I think that's uh, what's what's exciting about um, about that time was was the vision and the excitement that um, um, you look at uh, you look at today in digital health and it feels a lot like '95. Not that's interesting. 2015. I think there's early promise. And what I've seen in, in a number of industries, like I went from uh, you know, early tech into payments, into blockchain, uh, and now digital health. I've seen quite a few of these cycles. And those cycles seem to take about 10 years. You know, the, the companies that were really successful dot-com companies, they didn't start when, um, when the internet was founded or even when the dot-com boom. It was 10 years later when things really got exciting. And I think that's, we're going to see exactly the same thing. But what we also learned was the platforms that had customers, they were the ones who survived and thrived in the cycles. And that is absolutely critical. So you look at uh, the PayPal's and the Ebay's and, and Amazon's when they came through that dot-com bus, they, they had customers, they were solving problems and, and that's why they were made, making money. But they also saw how you can scale. And I think that's what... Um, I think now is the market timing is right for digital health because the the platforms that are available now can help, can enable this industry to scale like it's never done before. Hmm. You mentioned blockchain as well. Interesting blockchain. I think that has had a little mini hype cycle over the last, I suppose, five years as it pertains to digital health. I think when I can, I can remember sitting on panels years ago and people asking me, do you, do you think blockchain is going to save the NHS? It was literally that grandiose. It was, these are the questions being posed to me. And it was like, I don't know this is a, you know, a trite thing that's often said, but, you know, in an era where we still have fax machines, like, and bleeps, they are robust, they work, they're great. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a while. <laughs> it's my kind of, I suppose, my way of just saying, I think that's not a very clever way of thinking about it there are great things blockchain's doing and we've had medical chain and abdullah on this podcast talking about it um but you know it's a technology that sits behind ultimately solving problems right and i think that's that's the thing for me it's 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 what's under the hood really like it needs that the idea needs to solve a problem it just that blockchain has to what what's your what's your opinion of, of blockchain in, in digital health so i think uh, blockchain itself is an absolute perfect fit for healthcare. Yeah. Immutable data, security, and the, the cost efficiencies are incredible. Mm. So I think that blockchain itself, they get people get mixed up with the coins and the blockchain technology. You know, now Bitcoin is what, 13 years old now? I mean it's it's becoming a mature uh, um, uh, product, but it's built on blockchain. And I think it's the blockchain layer that we've always seen as exciting. 
Um, coming out of uh, 2017 into 2018, we, uh, at a blockchain company, we partnered with Eastman Kodak, Kodak, you know, the camera. And um, we were working with the CEO and we said, hey, let's let's do a blockchain project. And things were hot at the time. You know, they're going, okay, great. So we launched an image rights management blockchain platform at CES in 2018. Wow. And blew up Kodak stock, went up, you know, 500% in one day, more volume on the stock they've had in 10 years. And it was it was awesome, and it was a real product. We'd taken a, a German um, copyright management uh, automated technology, big data solution. Um, we merged that company, the company of ours, and then we um, co-developed a project with Kodak. I mean, that was a use case around copyright infringement. You could search the entire internet in three days, find infringement, and then reach out and uh, find people licensing. Uh, using the using the tokens and everything, but as is the case with almost all of these new technologies, regulation is a lot of fun. So we were the very first initial coin offering to actually ask for KYC on the investors and U.S. accredited investor status because we're working with a New York Stock Exchange listed company, hundred year old brand, SEC uh, regulation was front and center for us, and so we had I don't know like hundreds of thousands of investors on the announcement day say we're in and then we put them we were the first ones to put them through u.s accredited investor status and uh, hardly anything <laughs> <laughs> it was uh yeah so you know we raised like five million instead of the big number that was uh, contemplated but but i think this is what new technologies have to understand is the is the regulatory side yeah and, um, and how that's gonna fit yeah Incredible learning. And obviously all of that experience and passion for technology finds its way into what you're doing now. And so tell our listeners about memory lane games. And I suppose what, what I'd like you to tell our listeners here is, is the, the founder story. So um, what led you to doing this? And, and I suppose your, your passion for solving this particular problem in the space. Well, I think um, solving problems is at the heart of what we all do and should be doing. And sometimes the best place is in the pub. So my uh, co-founder and I, um, we've known each other 15 years. We were sitting in our local pub talking about our moms. His mom's 91 with vascular dementia. My mom's 86 back in Canada, sharpest attack. And we were talking about what they both have in common, what they love. And of course they love old family photos. And um, I have another chapter we haven't talked about in my gaming chapter in my background. Um, and I thought, hmm, I wonder if we could turn those photos into games. And my co-founder said, actually, we're turning memories into games. And that was the genesis of the company. And it wasn't long after that, uh, we presented it. Uh, uh, and we started building games for our moms. That's what we were doing. And just simple quiz games were engaging and fun because they were at home bored. And then um, a, uh, we presented at a small uh, health tech conference here in the Isle of Man. And uh, afterwards, a woman came up to us and said, you have no idea what you have here. You can improve lives and we can prove this in clinical trials. Wow, <laughs> okay. okay. And um, so we were adopted by a clinician who had run 12 dementia trials in her career and, and saw the future of what we were um, hoping to achieve. And that took us directly into, the, uh, into dementia therapy and digital dementia therapy, taking the same lessons we've had of platforms with customers over the years and said, 
there, there's an opportunity here. Delightful, simple opportunity. And that's what we love. Cool. So loads that I want to talk about here because um, interesting. So your, your gaming background. So obviously you, you, you know a thing or two about building games. That, that's an element that we haven't actually discussed in your background, but it's an element that exists. But, you know, you're, you're chatting to your future co-founder in the pod, talking about your mums. You've identified a problem. Um, people with dementia, cognitive decline, Alzheimer's, all, all, all those different things, what they retain is long-term memory and, and therefore, uh, or often what they retain is long-term memory, therefore by evoking memories and, and that sort of thing. It's enjoyable, first and foremost, and that's where you came from. Interesting thing for me then is obviously you're then presenting this and a very, very qualified clinician turns to you and says, oh, so do you realize that this could actually be, and you've described it as digital dementia therapy? That's very interesting because this goes from being a nice to have consumer app to something with actually quite a lot of potential utility behind it. And so I suppose what, what is the science there? What is the theory there that's behind this? Just playing games, looking at old photos, you'd be forgiven for thinking, hmm, is that really therapy? But scientifically, is that therapy? So absolutely. But I'll, I'll just start with, we're not trying to make people smarter. And that mm. is never going to be in our uh, mission. And, you know, there's the brain training industry is absolutely huge, right? Millions and millions of downloads and monthly subscribers in the, in the you know, each one of them, 500 grand to a million monthly subscribers. And, um, and we looked at that industry and uh, I had some of those uh, apps on my phone. And we thought, this doesn't make sense. So what we said is, and what our clinician told us is we can improve the quality of life of dementia patients and we can prove that in clinical trials. And we've been on that journey ever since. And so uh, reminiscence therapy is at the core of what we do. But what we've also found is, and this is from speech and language therapists around the world writing to us, telling us how effective we are with distraction therapy. And I can give you some examples of that. Uh, for example, uh, one speech and language therapist from uh, Boston wrote to us and said uh, she uses our app in her daily practice all the time. She loves that it's free. She can't believe it. No ads. And um, and then she said, uh, I was uh, sitting beside a, a uh, physiotherapist and a patient, a dementia patient, who and the dementia patient was was not being receptive to the therapy and was screaming. And so she walked over with the app, just sat down in front of her, showed some games, and they started playing. And all of a sudden, the physiotherapist could finish the physio session. It was, uh, she wrote to us, said, this is, this is transformational. So that distraction therapy, we're seeing that as, depending as you move up the scale of mild, moderate, severe dementia cases, distraction therapy can be um, very, very, very powerful. But at heart, we're reminiscence therapy. We're triggering positive memories using familiar photos, topics, and, um, and we do that to improve the quality of life with social interaction. It's often a carer and a patient engaging on the games together. And what we've seen anecdotally, and we're starting to see clinically is 
the, um, the, the carer is able to have a positive conversation on a focused singular topic on one particular photo of a beach or a market in London or a, uh, or a, a ski resort or whatever the topic, a garden bird. But the, the conversation for those moments is focused on that wonderful shared um, um, memory. And then that, that leads into other paths of conversations. And I think that's um, one of our, uh, a woman wrote to us uh, last week and said, um, we have, um, I was playing this game with a, a fellow. I know he used to be a florist. We started playing games on, on British uh, flowers. And all of a sudden he started talking about um, uh, his shop, that he, a flower shop he was talking. And what was interesting later is we found out he hadn't talked for weeks. Mm. So there's and these are um, uh, you know uh, just comments that we're receiving, but we're so I mean that's why we're here is is those kind of comments and I think that the big thing I've learned is a company with purpose attracts great people, people just want to help, and um, and and it really it, it guides you. Yeah, absolutely. So. There's a, there's a couple of bits here that I want to talk to you about. I think the interesting thing for me, I think, is the value proposition here kind of of the original idea versus what the value actually ends up being. Because, and, and this, is, this is the thing, I think when, when you start a health tech company or any company, in fact, you can you can plan it to a point, but at some point you just have to get going. And I think the interesting thing here is, you know, I wonder if with all the planning in the world, you could have really ever assumed that distraction therapy, you know, mild, moderate, severe, different amounts of distraction therapy would end up being used. Reminiscence therapy being in there, evoking certain memories and then evoking certain conversations, the people that aren't speaking now speaking, the relationship benefits between the carer and the patient, the patient and the family, all the positive knock-ons that come as a result of that. It's interesting to me because I see this in quite a lot of companies that their product and not not accidentally, but because there is intent as to what the original good value was, which is evoking the memories and sparking positive conversation, let's say. But then actually the utility is so much greater. And it's funny because as well, like, you know, often the best ideas are the simplest, right? And I think if, if you're to explain the game, it's questions with four possible answers. And over the course of a few seconds, the wrong ones will fade away. If you click on the wrong ones, they'll fade away so that you get this positive feeling that you've got the right one eventually. You know, it, it's, it's not, you're not, you're not a quantum physicist as we've had on previously other podcasts, you know, talking yeah. about how they're going to, you know, split infinity, <laughs> do all that stuff. At the end of the day, it's an interesting mix of, technology and people and again that's a, i think it's a really interesting trend in health tech technology bringing and sparking and fostering more of a relationship with people because what is healthcare at the end of the day 
And I think that's a philosophical question that I don't think can be answered with apps and technology, but can be answered with people feeling cared for. I think there's so much in that. I suppose my question here is, what did you set out to do? And then what were the bits along the journey that you realized were the extra value? So look, we started out building games for our moms. And yeah. With, with a bit of a spark of an entrepreneurial idea that, you know, this is something that we can engage people all over the world. And, but we didn't, uh, we don't come from healthcare. And yeah. The interesting part, the gaming, e-commerce, a bit of AI, that's, that's at our heart. And so when we approached this, we thought, my gosh, the cost of delivery with digital health can be zero. So right now our platform, we've modeled it. We haven't hit this yet, but um, we can add a million users for 200 quid a month. Wow. Like, and so that told me we can scale. And that's mm. why um, we started, uh, we knew we were onto something interesting because of the, the dynamics of, um, of digital health and, and delivery. But I, I was, it was a year, just March, 2020. So all this is going along and then COVID hits, right? Yeah. And I had an NHS conference, the very first healthcare conference I'd ever been to in um, March or April, 2020. And um, Tara Donnelly, the um, former CEO of NHS Digital said- My, that, my former boss, in fact. Oh, wow. Well, she gave me one of the most inspiring messages I'd ever heard, which was there's an inverse correlation between clinically validated apps and apps people love. <laughs> <laughs> and that struck me is you're absolutely right. Yeah. So we've come at it completely from the apps people love kind of yes. side. And then, um, as I mentioned, we're doing a clinical trial. That clinical trial starts uh, next month. It's been approved, 30 pairs of patients and carers, and it's a quality of life um, trial. But nice. But that's to, in a bit, the old fashioned way, it's research. It's not yeah. farm to validate the company on, on that clinical trial because we are at our heart developing apps people love. And our first channel is B2C. Mm. So we, we decided we would go that way first. And then as we've been progressing down that path, Germany pops up and says, wow, with that clinical trial that you're doing, that evidence and CE medical device certification level one, which we now have, um, it looks like you'll be able to get into our fast track program. So early next year, we can be a fast tracked app for dementia patients in a category where there's not much on the shelf without side effects. And, um, and, and we're excited about that. And you can get reimbursed in Germany, right? Central Ministry of Health, absolutely. And so that's, I think it's a, it's not an easy, straightforward approach, but if you have an app that engages dementia patients mm. and the, the impact on both the patient and the carer, and we believe we have an equal impact on carers as, as we have on patients, um, that is, that creates value. And that's why uh, we think that um, we're being recognized in those circles. Yeah. Interesting. So you mentioned the clinical trial. I think this this is quite an interesting thing to discuss. You're coming from a background of gaming. You're coming from a background of B2C. You're coming from a background of UI, UX being important, design, the way it looks and feels, making it joyous for customers. That's the world you're coming from. So that's the stuff that comes naturally to you. 
but you're also then intentionally talking about clinical validation. You're talking about a clinical trial. You've got a lead clinician. You've gone through CE marking. You're talking about getting reimbursed in Germany. I think there's an interesting thing here about the the balance between the two. You're right. What Tara said, you know, that that there has been historically an inverse correlation between those two things. Um, not least in places like medical devices, where you know devices developed by men 80 years ago are being used in female health. It, you know, ludicrous. Like, but we're in a world now where that design, that UI, that UX is, is very important. There's people like yourself coming from that world, which is super interesting. The clinical validation bit is then obviously the, 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 the yin to that yang, if you will. It's the, the bit that completes the whole picture. Interestingly, as you're saying, not because necessarily it will increase your sales, although it will, because there are people that respect that stuff. But it does give, I suppose, you as a company the the, the knowledge, the satisfaction, the feeling that that this has benefit beyond just looking nice and sparking a few nice conversations. Um, talking about the clinical trial, what are you measuring? Um, you you said quality of life. Is that qualitative? Is it quantitative? I mean, how, how are you tracking that? How are you measuring that? What are you up to? So the trial is uh, being run by uh, the Shoal Academic Center here in the Isle of Man. It's attached to the, large, uh, ho- the largest hospice uh, in the Isle of Man and the uh, sort of research hospice. And they, um, we, we started chatting with them early. Our clinician partnered with them and said, actually, we can do something interesting here. And so it is classic, um, just like you had in your, in your old practice, in your GP practice, there are standard dementia tests, there's standard dementia yeah. um, uh, scores that you run, and that's exactly the same metrics that we're using. So, so for most of it is the classic, it's depression scores, apathy scores, it's uh, um, all of those kind of things. But then we can, and, and that's what the clinicians love about this trial. But what over and above that, we have all this other data that we can bring. So adherence data, and uh, accuracy and lag time and all of these other uh, pieces of data that are uh, all uh, anonymized within the app uh, for the for the clinical trial, but so we're not sure what we're going to see. Yeah, and and we think that and what the carers and again it's a um, a trial that both the patient and carer together um, access the app and what we've added for the uh, clinical trial is personalization. So you can now upload your own family photos or any personal interest in that the dementia patient has. If you know that they used to love to sit on this particular bench or picture of your old family dog or the wedding, who's standing next to Uncle Jim, who lived in this house, uh, what would you buy at this shop? All of those kind of things bring those really personal memories. So the, the trial is an intervention of personal dementia therapy apps to improve the quality of life of patients and carers. Mm. And again, with standard, very standard uh, dementia therapy, uh, uh, dementia um, scorings. Mm. What, what I'm excited about, about this clinical trial again, and again, we're approaching this in a very different way, I think, than, than many clinical trials. Um, is, so this is a pilot, but what, uh, what we see is the future of clinical trials can change. 
So because we have a pair of dementia patients and carriers, why can't we do this trial over Zoom? Can we find the data integrity models that bring this together, that make it solid? And I'll tell you, um, we haven't talked about uh, our work in the Philippines. Um, today, our app is being prescribed in the Philippines by GPs to dementia patients ahead of our clinical trial. But we co-developed um, and localized our app for the Philippines with the Alzheimer's Disease Association of the Philippines. Their neurologists, psychiatrists, psychologists, memory cafe nurses all participated in helping us localize um, the app. And so it's now along with nutrition videos, exercise videos, and uh, for cognitive activities, memory lane games. Wow. Yeah. Did you, did you just use the phrase memory cafe? Yeah, this is a, a, all around the world. We were talking to Slovenia. I think they've got 6,000 memory cafes. And it's, it's, a, it's a meeting place where um, families can come with a dementia patient and just get a break. And so we think that's the kind of place where we're starting to see um, real application of our, of our app. Wow, that's, re that's really interesting. We're, in, um, we're partnered with the uh, Alzheimer's Association of Uganda as well. And um, it, it's a wonderful story. They, they, see, um, they see dementia as, a, as a, it's starting to rise, still a young population. Yeah. But put it on, on, the, on the radar of the Ministry of Health because there is, there is no alternatives. There's nothing to yeah. help. So they've described our app as um, actually treating the condition of dementia. Mm -hmm. In the Philippines, the neurologists describe our app as cognitive therapy at home, ideal for our patients who can't come in during COVID. They're actually introducing it into stroke patients too, which, which was amazing. Yeah. There's an interesting thing here for me actually about th that kind of internationalization of this. It's, it, can, it can be used and personalized in different ways it seems that local health economies there's there's enough kind of malleability to it or, or it's it's essential in its being enough as a product to be used in different geographies by different types of health system that are looking at different things in different ways that they can put their own emphasis on it i suppose that becomes because customization is an interesting wasn't it because when you have to customize per geography when you have to put time and work in as the company to customize your scalability is questioned then we see it a lot in in the nhs actually because you know if you if you get your product into a trust you know on one side of the road just because the, the other trust is on the other side of the road you might have to go through entirely different information governance entirely different ways of actually adopting it into a clinical workflow you know it, it can be a, a real hassle and if that is then placed on the company your scalability is questioned it seems by what you're saying though that different countries are adopting this as a platform and just using it themselves in different ways which i suppose takes that scalability burden off you that's exactly the, the platform that we see yeah one of our uh, at our core is uh, it's going to take us a while to get there but we are absolutely convinced Volunteers want to build games for the elderly near them. Yeah, I see. Take their local knowledge. We've talked to companies, big global companies, who say, yeah, we've done quiz nights as a company. What? Maybe we have a night where we just build quiz games on the, on the places that we grew up in. 
Like we've got 130 games on cities, towns, and villages in the UK. The same in the Philippines. We're almost there in Germany. Each of these places, we get, you know, a large company can say, um, yeah, we got a thousand staff. They actually come from probably a thousand different places. Mm. So a game on every one of those small places using geolocation to deliver that. When you open the app in Uganda, you get games about Ugandan animals and uh, village activities. And in the Philippines, you're getting Philippine street food and Philippine beaches. And, and uh, you know, in the Isle of Man, we're getting castles and things. So it's, uh, <laughs> but also, you know, in the UK, um, you know, we've got games on London markets. We've got games on, uh, um, you know, Birmingham streets of the fifties, you know, mm. all these things that just bring back to trigger that positive memory. When we select a photo for a game, it's not just any photo that we can find. It is a um, one that we think will trigger a conversation. Nice. Um, and then like, like any good platform, you just become essentially the empty pipes with the analytics and you get all the user generated content. Right. And you know, Airbnb doesn't own hotels and Uber doesn't own taxis and you know, <laughs> all the usual adages. But it's almost the one day we might do a trial on this is uh, it feels good to build a game for someone else. Interesting. An, active, an action of volunteering to build, just use your local knowledge. Where, where did you grow up, James? Wolverhampton. So Wolverhampton, not just the football team, but a cool market, streets. There might be a couple of big schools. There might yeah. be, you know, there, there's things that you walk down the street with one of your loved ones. And that's that, that moment, you know, what did, mm. you, what did you buy at this shop? Well, if you're back in the fifties or sixties, you knew that. And that's a memory. I remember walking when I went down with my dad and that's a, that's the kind of thing we have. Mm. And nice. In Uganda and all these other places. Huh. It's funny. Cause even when you say that, you know, it triggers my memories and then I start smiling, which you can see it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting, right? It is interesting. Um, I guess the other the other thing to to talk about before we wrap up is at the end of the day you're running a business. Um, it needs to make money. Um, I'm interested in how you do that. I assume, well, I know that obviously you've raised an investment round, and there's different ways that you could that you could monetize this. Um, I'm interested for you to tell our listeners how you've chosen to do that. Great. So at our heart. Um, we passionately believe that digital dementia therapy should be available all over the world. And because we can deliver that such a low cost with volunteer content and, and our platform, that's at the heart of what we do. So a free app everywhere, we think that's, uh, that's essential. It's a good thing, but it's also good business because from our e-commerce side, we understand um, uh, freemium. So there will be a free app with in-app purchases that allow you to have a couple of different functions. And we're just starting to test those now. And uh, the first one is the personalization function I mentioned, where you can upload your own family photos and videos. Um, shortly after that, we have found that speech and language therapy for dementia patients is the same all over the world, and mostly just with flashcards. And so we have taken a panel of dementia uh, speech and language therapists from Boston, from the Alaman, from the UK, Manila, and are developing a suite of games for specially designed for um, each level. So severe, moderate, and mild um, dementia cases. And we think that is another piece that we will be able to uh, monetize. So you'll have a couple of choices. Do I wanna upload my own family photos, tick? Do I want to add um, 
specific speech and language therapy games at home to support either speech and language therapy or, and it's wonderfully simple stuff. We don't have to change the app at all. You know, for the more severe uh, naming is, is, the, is a critical part of speech and language therapy. So this is a peacock. What is this? Mm. Peacock, great. And you get the rewards and gamification and just simple things like that or synonyms. Um, another word for a stone is a, so we're finding where these, this gaming format that we've created works right across um, these different categories. Um, and then early next year, as I mentioned, um, we plan to be a prescription app. So, and again, not changing our, our model or anything, but with the clinical real world evidence that we have, which the Philippine Alzheimer's Association has said they would like to replicate that trial at zero cost to us. Wow. In six sites in the Philippines. And by the way, they're promoting the app for free the, and they co-developed it with us. Mm. Same in Uganda. So we're finding that we can scale on those sides. But as we look two or three steps forward, um, we've got uh, an interesting project we're scoping out with Digital Health um, Scotland to um, identify digital biomarkers in dementia patients. And that's from gameplay overlaid with our machine learning. We have that expertise in-house and the most incredible AI um, platform, Microsoft Azure, that um, Scotland has developed, where it's a sandbox and we can run our algorithms in a safe environment on anonymized data. So we might be able to say, hmm, based on this set of gameplay metrics, maybe there's a decline in accuracy in facial detection games. Maybe there's a followed by a decline in spatial awareness games. And then overlaid with the uh, personal um, data, health data, we might be able to say, hmm, these factors actually are leading indicators of a fall or maybe it's a urinary tract or maybe yeah. something has changed and you can just see that from the gameplay. And I think that, that I think has, uh, will bring value. Yeah, that is very interesting. You know, when you start saying digital biomarkers, machine learning, AI, then it, well, you say there's enough, apparently an investor shows up, but, um, <laughs> but the way we talk about it, just there, it's pretty simple to me. Right? Exactly. Yeah. AI is like, Hmm, here's some gameplay metrics and here's some yeah. personal health metrics and yeah. play them and run your AI machine learning model, which again, that that's not that complicated, but I think it can show some interesting insights. Correct. And I think that's, that's the interesting bit for me. Digital biomarkers are, are an interesting one. I remember writing an article about this actually. Um, I think it was almost writing about humor um, and the digital biomarkers that they were looking to, to find and things like that. I think the amount of data that exists on the way that we behave. Well, they say, don't they, that Google knows more about your health than your GP because of what you're searching for. I mean, just simply that, you know, you, you know so much. But as you've rightly pointed out, the way that you play a game, especially when you're an older adult and things like infection can you know, hit your, um, you know, ability to play a game quite significantly. It can affect your um, perception of space and time. Like, you know, it, these, these are all very true things. And why couldn't we detect those early with things that we're not sure of yet? I think the interesting thing for companies like you is that 
you are at the frontier of that stuff right now. That That is the undiscovered stuff right now. That is there for everybody to discover, which is super interesting. I think we're in about five years into that 10-year cycle I talked about at the beginning. That interesting. When really come to become massive, meaningful, maybe seven years. I think it's um, we're just at the right time. I think. Yeah, super interesting. Um, how difficult was it raising money in COVID out of interest? Wow. Well, again, <laughs> when you have purpose, it, it's, it's much easier. So okay. It's never easy. I got it. Yeah. Never, so we raised our first uh, round, 285 grand seed round uh, from Angels uh, in September 2020, right? Lockdown. Must be a few of those knocking around the Isle of Man. <laughs> uh, most of it was uh, Isle of Man in UK. Nice. And, um, and, and that, was, uh, that wasn't easy, yeah. but... And but and that was painting the vision. And then mm. this time around, we just closed 700 grand seed round last month. 100% of the pre-seed investors, so seven of seven, came along with us again to at least maintain their positions, which was a wonderful testament to the to the team and the purpose of, of what we're doing. Um, but the, but the uh, the new investors were looking for data. Right? Yeah. Going okay, so. And thankfully, uh, we just started to uptick in a number of areas, uh, and and our uh, we were doing maybe you know 500 downloads a month and 800 downloads a month. Well, uh, this month already we're at 12,000 downloads, three weeks in. It's so that we're starting to see some incredible uptake, and that was partly we launched across the Philippines with the Alzheimer's Association. We're being prescribed by doctors and some things have taken off there. India is going crazy and, and our core market in the UK is, is doing really well. So we're starting, we had some of the data and, yeah. and enough. Um, um, and you know what? I think investors want us to succeed. Yes. You know, it's, it's a tough, tough look, but one of the lessons I've learned in, in fundraising, and I've, I've been in that for, for a long time with different projects is it's focusing on investors who are warm. Yeah. You know, if you're starting from scratch, it's hard. If, if uh, an investor understands the space you're in, understands digital health or has had personal experience with Alzheimer's dementia or can see um, the, the progress we've been making, those are the investors we focused on. And so, uh, well, it took much longer than I had initially uh, hoped to do. Um, most of the investment and the new investors that came in were recommended by our existing investors. And so it was a real positive experience for them. The, some of our existing investors have said, Angel said, were their favorite investment. They said that publicly on, on uh, wow. Twitter. And I thought, you know what, that's, that's awesome. Just on that, just for a practical bit of, I suppose, value for the people listening, why do you think that was? Is that connected to your vision, mission, purpose? In, and my other question there is that in part, I mean, how, how do you communicate with your current investors? Do you do that regularly? I mean, what what made what made those investors feel like you were their favorite investment? Yeah, we were we were sending out uh, monthly or quarterly um, newsletters to yeah. all investors all the way through. So for a year, they yeah. saw our progress, and we had and a lot of it was uh, was wasn't pure data, but it was relationships we've been building or groups or this or this, but we shared a lot. And, and that gave them some, and they said a lot of startups they invest in, they never hear from. Yeah. Like never. <laughs> okay. Well, so we, uh, so we did work that, that hard 
And mm. still, some of the investors from the from our first round, I haven't met in person yet. <laughs> so and they came along again the second time. So um, you know, I think it's you got to really share, and um, and and I think that's and you know, and we were showing traction and progress. Yeah, well, of course, yeah. So so that helped. But they also love our purpose, and really, what um, we had one influential. Um, uh, person look take a look at our company and very experienced in healthcare and said mm. you are solving a global unmet need cost effectively yeah and the, um, like wow and you're right yeah and with this digital health platform where you can scale where you can really deliver um around the world we that you know that was starting to resonate with us and mm-hmm. then I think articulating that because we had volunteers coming in and building games for us all the time and just articulating that vision that we can scale across the Philippines. We can scale to Uganda or California or somewhere with um, user generated content. We started to put those things together and that, that message became um, compelling for some. Nice. Not for all, but for some. Makes a lot of sense. Um Bruce, as as you know, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. I, I for me, I like the f- and and this is why you know we've started working together. Like, I I like the fact that it is in its essential nature very simple. In the front facing to the patient to the carers, it is simple. The potential is great. The things you're doing for that clinical validation, the as you've said, the business model itself and its ability to scale, the size of the problem you're looking to solve, how that is going to evolve over time and you can evolve with it. I think all of those things mean that for me, and this is, as I say, why we started working together is that um, it has that potential for me. I think it's super interesting. And I think there's there's loads that, that we can obviously do together. But yeah, you're obviously someone with huge amount of experience. Um, you're applying it in a space with, with dire need, frankly. I mean, the need is never, ever, ever going to decrease. It's only going to increase. Um, and... I naturally wish you the best in everything that you're, that you're trying to achieve. Um, my final, final, final question would be, there's lots of people that listen to this podcast um, from clinicians to people in health tech, to the investment world, to all sorts. Um, if you have any asks of our audience or anything that you want to leave our audience with, what would, what would they be or that be? So we think the most important thing is just people downloading our app. It's free. It's in Apple and Google Play Store. And just see it, man. See how simple it is and start to think about it. And, um, you know, the NHS hasn't always had a, a, a good relationship with free. And so it's been a, um, and, and that's fine. But I think social prescribing, I think uh, GPs looking for solutions, I think families and carers are finding us and speech language therapists are finding us and just loving it. And I think that's, just give it a try. And yeah, it looks really simple, but there's a, there's a big team behind it and, and we're doing some really interesting things. If people want to get in touch with you, Bruce, or they want to find out more about Memory Lane Games, how can they do that? Great. Well, the easiest is to download our app from the app stores, but uh, Bruce.Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T-T, at MemoryLaneGames.com. And I'm happy to chat, share, and uh, and support anybody else in our space. We we think this is a, a huge growing community in digital health, and love to help. 
Love it. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Memory Lane Games, we're, we're absolutely thrilled to be on this uh, podcast. I've been a fan for a long time, so thank you for having us. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.